at Christ the King Sudden Valley, we are an authentic Christian community, reaching out to people in love, acceptance, and forgiveness so they may experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. We encourage you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. We meet at the barns located in Gate 2. Find us on Facebook at CTK Sudden Valley or go to ctk.church. Now, let's join Pastor Jason Manning as he continues his series entitled Change, a study of change through the book of John. So there's very few times, we're going to continue on our change series, but there's very few times that a guy like this comes up empty-handed in the story we look at today, a goose egg. Normally it's the stories of the giant one that he landed or the one that got away, a fisherman's stories. We had a campfire this week at our house in the backyard and we shared stories with each other and uh, and. For me, Peter, the disciple Peter that we're going to look at today would have been the guy that I would have loved to just hang out and sit around a fire and share stories with. Peter would have been, Peter, uh, having been uh, with the disciples, love, he, I would have loved to just sit and swap stories with him. A fisherman by trade, and they normally have the best stories, right? The fish gets larger each time you tell the story as a fisherman, And I wonder if Peter would have started in his storytelling with that first goose egg, the first time he came back empty-handed, the first time he met Jesus that night where he had no fish. A commercial fisherman by trade, he would have rarely, if ever, come up empty-netted, maybe had a light day, but this day he came up empty. And I wonder if he would have told the story how Jesus would have uh, told him to push out and asked as he's docked on the shore without any fish. He said, hey, I need to use your boat. And he would have told the story how Jesus would have told him to push out into the water a little bit and use the acoustics of the water to preach at the people who had gathered on the beach. And how then that stranger that Peter didn't know Jesus would ask him to push out a little deeper and to throw his nets back in the water. I can imagine Peter saying, we can't fish this close to shore. It's the wrong time of day or whatever it might be. But they did it anyways. And he would have told the story how uh, at the sound of his name, the nets were filled on like any other day. The day where his life, Peter's life, would change. Right? Uncertainty and questioning now that the, uh, this guy is telling him how to fish. Or maybe Peter would have started with the second story. The second story of Jesus where uh, in an outing a week or so after Easter, like we are today, Peter and his friends um, are now asking the question, now what? Where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing? And so they begin to cope like any good person would cope. And for, uh, for like any good person who's a fisherman, except for those in the state of Washington, is it true that we're the only state that's not fishing right now? Seems like a good way to cope with whatever's going on. But Peter and his buddies decided that they would go fishing. A week after Easter, and not knowing what Jesus was up to, they decided to cope with by going fishing. So they went fishing. Peter's in friend. 
and his friends Thomas and Nathaniel and a couple of the other disciples. They did it because that was what was comfortable. That is, was their life the few days leading up to uh, Jesus is calling them that first time. And so I pose a question for you. How many of you have found during this time a way to cope by doing something you feel comfortable to do? Something that would provide comfort for you. It's so good for the soul, isn't it? To find something that you know and are comfortable with to cope with everything. For the boys, the disciples, this one week post Easter, this after this first Easter morning, so, so much had gone on. The traveling from town to town as the disciples gathered, the teachings, the hope as to what would come, the craziness of Holy Week, uh, Hosanna and the palm branches and the, and the shouting and the cheering and the crowd and then the arrest and the trial and Jesus' death. So much has gone on. So much for us have, has gone on as well these last couple weeks. Maybe we, maybe you and I share in the same feeling of overwhelmingness, of what is going on around us. Are the kids going back to school? Are the grocery stores going to have groceries when I show up? Is my work going to shut down? Is it all right for me to go to work? How am I going to cover the bills? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to find protection and comfort during these times? You see, even at the point that the disciples are at right now, in the, vo- in the, in the boat facing some of this, Jesus had appeared to them a couple times before this. And now Jesus, for the second time, from the shore, calls out to his friends. He says, hey, you catch anything? (laughs) And I love in this moment that Jesus asks that question. That Jesus engages with us in question. Jesus knew. He knew that they hadn't caught any fish. But like any person from the shore with a fisherman out in the water, he says, hey, you catch anything? As if to engage with them. And at that point, they don't recognize him. I don't know why they don't recognize him, whether his bodily image had changed a little bit, whether they were distracted with everything that had gone on the week before, whether that they had been disenchanted by uh, after not seeing him for a little while. Maybe they were just frustrated from the day of no catch and so they were paying little attention to the heckler from the shore. But if you take a second with me, can you imagine how Peter felt? I mentioned it last week. Peter's last time talking face to face with Jesus is when he told him that he would not betray him. Not me, nope, no way, Peter said. Or even the time it would be flashing through his brain where Jesus just a few days earlier had gathered with the disciples and, um, and had told them that he was going to wash their feet. And, and Peter said, don't touch my feet. You're not going to touch my feet. And Jesus says, no, I'm here to serve. We are here to serve. And so he got down and he went to wash Peter's feet. Peter said, no, if you wash my feet, you got to wash my whole body. And that interaction 
with challenging Jesus would have also been in Peter's head. You see, Peter would have heard all of the teachings of Jesus. He would have been there for all the miracles. He was there for the fish and the bread and the feeding of thousands of people that Jesus did. And, and, and Peter was even part of the people who gathered up the leftovers. Peter was in the boat when the winds and the waves were, were tossing the boat and the disciples were on the boat. And, 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 and then that fisherman who would have known the storms that would have landed uh, on the sea that they were in got out of the boat and he stepped on the water and he would have been remembering that story and how he took his eyes off Jesus and in doing that, he started to sink. Or the time Peter said, Man, if you're going to die, I'm going to die with you, he would have said to Jesus. See, Peter was always one of the three that Jesus took with him. I often think it was because Peter was a lot like me, uh, somebody who messed around a lot, and Peter, Jesus just wanted to keep him close. So Jesus took him along, and one of those instances in the garden of Gethsemane that night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus wanted to go off and pre pray by himself. And I'm sure this would have went through Peter's mind. The moment where Jesus said to him, you guys keep watch because I need to pray. I need to check in with my father, he said. And Peter would remember that night as Jesus was praying that him and his disciples, that they would have fallen asleep on watch and woken up to the guards and everybody coming for Jesus. See, Jesus was arrested and then the trial came to be and Peter remembered, would have remembered when he wandered back to the trial, when Jesus was being beaten and, and, and drug away. And Peter would have remembered that moment where three times he was asked if he was with Jesus, if he knew Jesus. And three times Peter says, not me, nope, no way, not the guy. And so Jesus now appearing the second time on the beach for his disciples calls out. And he calls out to his disciples and even Peter, I don't think um, that, was, that was his timing, but they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus calling out to them, calls them to shore, calls them, calls them actually to fishing for the, but P Jesus knew he, that he, that they wouldn't have caught anything. But Jesus knew there was going to be an opportunity to interact with him. And so he built a fire on the beach. And I, I actually wonder, does Jesus use the teepee method for a fire? Or does he use the log cabin method for the fire, right? I mean, that's the big debate, right? Do you build the teepee and light it? And, or the, but we all know that Jesus uses the burning bush as the firelight, right? That's dad joke for you. All right. Uh, but Peter and the boys get their second chance. And they get this lesson from this guy and this guy from the shore who they don't recognize says, throw your nets onto the right side of your boat. And I'm sure inside they are just beat up. They don't want to. They, they, they wonder who it is. I think Peter at that maybe, and maybe the other guys started to get a flashback of that first time Jesus had called them. And they do it. And one of them, I think it was John says, it is the Lord. And Peter, then ecstatic to recognize Jesus, puts back on his clothes. 
I don't know about that. I don't fish naked. But puts back on his clothes and swims to shore. He jumps in the water and literally swims in. And the weight of everything that was going on, everything that was flashing back in his life, mixed with the opportunity to try to make it all right, is the emotions that Peter is feeling. That Peter is thinking back over all the instances where he maybe thought he let the Lord down and he didn't do what he was supposed to do and, and he denied him three times and he challenged his teaching and challenged who he was. And all those emotions, I think, are filling Peter's body. And in that moment, when he recognizes the Lord, he swims to him and he's got to reconcile what has happened. But now if we switch gears and think of Jesus in the, this moment, the week after Easter, much like where we're facing right now. Same then as it is now. Jesus is just a week from defeating the grave, beating death, slamming the enemy to the ground. I can only imagine the excitement that Jesus is feeling in this moment, appearing to his disciples the mood is quite different yet Jesus still is very engaging with them and so my question for you this morning is where are you at in your engagement with Jesus one week following Easter what you've been what what you've been doing to cope what conversations have you been having with him how have you been wondering what Jesus is up to or recognizing where Jesus is at so you have three warnings for us as believers, as followers of Jesus that I think, I think, I feel like through the stories, the disciples have struggled and navigated this as well. But I got three warnings for us that we battle to keep our focus on Jesus and what he's doing amongst, even through this continued change and the change that he desires for us during this time in our lives. The continued action and interaction and desire he has with us. And they're much like he approached Peter, Peter much like he, he, he approached Peter. And the first warning is, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted from what God is doing or by what Jesus is doing in our lives. Now, I don't pretend to know what God is doing in all of our lives at this time. But what I do know is even though it seems like we maybe aren't doing as much as we used to do, we are every bit as distracted, if not even more than we've ever been before in our lives with everything that's going on. Most of us know how easy it is to be distracted by the daily grind. The life, the electronics, social media, work, kids, pets, responsibilities. And but, but even now you have to throw in the idea of COVID-19, quarantine, out of work, still going to work, health, stimulus checks, paying the bills, entertaining yourself, knowing what everyone else is doing and reacting to what everyone else is doing and knowing how they're acting during this time as well. The distraction of isolation. Hopefully that didn't cause too much anxiety for you for that list. See, but distraction is very much a real battle for each one of us, just like it was for the disciples. I think the disciples often were distracted by what Jesus did and in, in what he was doing. 
In John 14, 27, it says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And, and what Jesus is saying is here, here is that he, he wants to know that his peace is, we have access to his peace. That we, uh, that if our hearts are troubled or stressed and, and we're distracted during this time, it's our interaction with the world that is causing that and not our interaction with him. In Psalm 119.15, it says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on, on your ways. See, that is the opportunity we have to continue to look towards what Jesus is doing and look at what he's doing in our lives. When we focus on those things, we aren't distracted by the other things. Also during this time, I feel it's easy for us to be discouraged or feel like we're disqualified. This is a lot, I think, what was rushing through Peter's head. The disqualification he might have or the way he was discouraged. Now, I touched base a lot on this last week during our Easter service. I encourage you to go back and listen to all the different examples of, of who Jesus came for and then how he interacted with people even after Easter. But I know, like it says in Romans eight thirty eight, nothing can separate us from the love of a father. And I'm sure Peter had these feelings. And for us, man, it's so true. Whatever has happened in your life leading you to this moment today, it cannot disqualify you from the love of Christ. That however you have uh, coped maybe in the wrong way, however you have reacted out of line to those that are around us, whatever you might have done to contribute, you feel to the position that you're in right now, that cannot separate you or disqualify you and should not discourage you from the love of Christ. I think of Peter again in that boat replaying in his way of coping all of the things, all of the instances in his life for those three years when he walked with Jesus, replaying all those moments in his head and as a way using them to maybe even disqualify or discourage him as they sat in that boat Fishing. See, I'm sure Peter had those feelings. And man, for us, it is so true as well. For you, if you are not in the desired place that you are at right now, I liken it to the example of, um, uh, uh, of a meme that we had is that we on our own are not able to really process everything that's going on, right? For some of you that are parents, the meme that I saw is not only you're a parent, not only are you working full-time now or even part-time, now you're a teacher of your children. And whatever titles that you want to put on yourself and then add this to it, it it's, it's all of those things that have made it so that that isn't how we were created to live to deal with those things and, and handle those things on our own. We were created to um, interact with our God through it all and with him. See, the final warning I want to uh, bring to your attention, I feel is, is a warning that probably all of the disciples in that, in that boat that morning had 
uh, in their lives in even the slightest form is to not become disenchanted with Jesus. To not allow what is going on in and around you uh, during this time to cause you to lose sight of a God that we can still rely on. That it is, that he is still just as magnificent, still just as all knowing and all powerful of a God as he was before all, all this happened and, and one that maybe you had, uh, had some interaction and engagement with in the past. Do not become disenchanted with that idea of how magnificent our God is. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about our God and how magnificent he is and how powerful he is, even during these times. Proverbs 4, 4 and 5 says, Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words and turn away from them. I love that this is one, a direct command, but it also mentions the heart. For us, oftentimes it's, it's that personal connection that we have with our, God, with our God in our hearts that brings us to that place. Church, I know how easy it is to lose sight and venture away or venture out from under the awe of the Father that desires the most amazing life for each one of us, even now. That it is so easy to lose that awe and wonder that we have in God, especially when it's, well, it's like that, especially when we are having a tough time keeping our focus on Him. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. Guard our hearts by putting our attention towards him. And then later on in verse 25 and 26, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. Church, I know it's with the same confidence and desire and dedication that Jesus had on that beach, that Jesus had in his life and his ministry, that Jesus had when he called his disciples. It is with that same dedication and desire and confidence that he pursues us today. It is the same power and strength that our God operates with today that he did that, that week of that first Easter and defeating the grave and defeating Death. Can you imagine that? I find it amazing that, that though our, the way that our God does that, from the shore, he doesn't shout, he doesn't show up to his disciples and shout how mighty he is and, and use the force to drag the boat ashore or to make the fish jump, whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't, come announcing his presence and force in this moment. He calls out to his disciples. You catch anything? Engaging them. And from the beach, he lights up a campfire and he puts some food on that campfire. 
See, some of the best moments I've had in my life is when I've gathered with a friend and I've gathered around even a campfire or around a meal and shared a moment with them. And I know during this time, we aren't able to do that, but I miss that. And in this moment, uh, what strikes me so amazing is, is the way our God does it, that Jesus would allow this moment to play out, that the disciples are out in the water and that they haven't caught anything and, and he kind of just moseys onto the beach and he starts up a fire and, and that uh, he allows the moment to play out and engages with his friends. Now, I'm not saying in this, I'm not saying that Jesus is behind what's going on right now. But I happen to know that Jesus is allowing us to go through this and allowing us to choose to engage with him in whatever way that we are. See, with Peter, Peter pull, he pulls Peter aside. And as the fire is still crackling in the background and the flames are still bouncing over the wood and the smell of that fresh catch luminates, the, that is a disgusting smell, isn't it? Fresh fish catch, anyways. But he pulls Peter aside. And, and Jesus has all of these moments that Peter has been filtering through his head over and over and all of his thoughts and everything that's been racing on in Peter's brain. And he does with Peter what he's often done with me. And maybe he's done it with you as well. He presents the life that he has to offer you. He calls you from wherever you're at and he presents the life that he has for you. He says, I know about everything that's gone on in Peter's instance. It was probably what was on the forefront of those three denials. But whatever you've got going on in your life, he says, I know, I know. I still want this connection. I want this personal interaction with you today. I want to pull you out of that of which that is distracting you. I want to take you from what has been discouraging you in your life. I want to have you enter back into my enchantment, the amazing awe and wonder of what I have to offer you. That's what I want to still call you to today. And Jesus does this in a conversation with Peter in John 21, 15 through 17. He says, when they had finished eating after the meal, after they had shared in this relational connection over a meal, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Time number one, Jesus answered, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter responded, time number two, take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That moment it said Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him that third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Church, it is, it is this... Uh, this is what I know about our God. 
that in his deepest desire for you today is for you to recognize his presence. For you to know the desire that he has to connect with you on a relational basis. And to believe that the work that he did and the life that he lived and the death that he defeated, the cross that is empty, he did it for you. See, Jesus is making, he's actually uh, much like Peter, he's asking you if you, if today is a day that you want to recognize his presence, that you want to know his desire and believe in the work that he did for you and then live in it. He wants you to re-engage with him in life in purpose that you were created for. Peter went on to be one of the most prolific icons in bringing the message of Christ to the world. They built an amazing giant church around his name and who he was. That in that moment on the beach, after all that Peter had done, Jesus having that personal conversation with him propelled Peter into a life that was, had the most meaning and purpose out of anything he could have tried to do on his own. God calls all of his people to this life. A life of focus and a life that is lived out to display the glory of the love of our father. And so I want to ask you today, and I asked it earlier, where is your engagement with Jesus during this time? Are you distracted? Are you discouraged today? Have you become disenchanted in who Jesus is and who he calls you to be? We pray that God blesses you with this message. If you would like to contact us, please reach out to us on Facebook at CTK Sudden Valley or visit our website at www.ctk.church. You can also find other episodes of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, may God bless your week.